this month, Fractal Universe will release their new album, The Impassable Horizon, via Metal Blade Records. As one of the most complex and compelling progressive metal works of the year, The Impassable Horizon also features the introduction of frontman Vince Wilkins' newly owned saxophone skills, which take the French Quartet's music to the next level. Purchase your copy of The Impassable Horizon now at metalblade.com slash fractal universe. Once again, The Impassable Horizon, the new album from Fractal Universe. Go to metalblade.com slash fractal universe and pre-order today. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Spych, Brandon Hahn, and Sylvia Alvarado. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello, hello, friends out there. It is I, your host, Petter Spych. I'm always joined by... Brandon Hahn. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. And drinking collagen water across from me. Sylvia, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at it's a Sylvia. It's delicious. I'm so gonna, I'm youthful. Gonna some, so I'm going to get some collagen water. <laughs> Don't make sure you guys are following our other co-hosts, Jocelyn Sharp. That's J-O-Z-A-L-Y-N Sharp, like a sharp knife on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp on TikTok at the Wizard of Jaws. If you guys want to follow me, uh, Facebook and Twitter, it is at Rise to Offend, Rise to Offend Official on Instagram. This week, guys. Tomas Lindbergh from At The Gates is our guest. We are here to talk about their new album, The Nightmare of Being. It is coming out July 2nd. Fantastic. I just had a great interview. All we did was talk about philosophy, guys. Wow. Yeah, we had a great chat. It was was a lot of fun. So make sure you guys hang in there for that. But before we get into that chat, guys. We're here to tell you what you need to know. Metal Metal Sucks sucks News. Who is raping and upcoming shows? Metal Sucks News. Dig it deep just to get the scoop. Metal Sucks News. Fill your head with the media's poop. Now that we have... Metal Sucks News? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's all you're going to give us? Well, it's, dude, it's like... Come on. Know, we got to get to the news. Oh, I know, but I that's gotcha. really... I think that one I might be my favorite. I think people like listen, listening to the, the whole thing. thing. I think so. How oh, long man. is it? It's, there's like 30, sec, 30 more seconds come left. On. It felt like... Dude, this is the ADD riddle generation, man. They're like, let's go to the news. No, to the but news. this is actually good. I think right. people were listening to the lyrics and you you cut them out. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you fucked them up. Next week, next week, or two weeks from now, we'll play the sounder in its entirety. <laughs> Maybe if, I'll make a you, new one. If we choose that sounder, don't don't test us. Maybe on I'll it. make a new one. The Motorhead sounder is really good. I like it. Okay. Maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I found my sound. Maybe you'll do a Guns N' Roses. Okay. Sound. No, I'm not that good. I'm I'm an awful. You heard that? That's not good guitar you playing. Could do, you could do a Megadeth sounder. And I don't have a bass, so it's like that's just a, that's just a drum track that I use on Apple Loops, and then this. And wait, I'm like, wait, did you miss? My uh, my segue into the Megadeth sounder. First story we're going to talk about. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. So we mm. talked about this in length already. But uh, David Elfeson, we all actually uh, asked what we thought would happen. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. was right in the room? Pete was oh, right. Oh, come on. But. Oh. Come on. I didn't want to be right. <laughs> no. I didn't want to be right. But Megadeth did fire Dave Elfeson this week. Um, go. No what? What are you going to say? I was just saying, like, I- I'm really shocked that Dave Mustaine would do that. Mm. I- again, because it's like he's so anti-media. He's so anti all this shame mm-hmm. shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. And then it happens in his real life. And he gets rid of one of his 
one of the best partners he's ever had, probably the best partner he's ever had in music. Well, now I'm wondering if there's like more to the story. Because uh, I, that's I think what you, I think. You said that. Here's the statement. So the fact that you both said this is the exact statement that was on uh, Megadeth's, I believe, Instagram. I can't remember what social media, but we are informing our fans that David Elfson is no longer no longer playing with Megadeth and that we are officially parting ways with him. We do not take this decision lightly. While we do not know every detail of what occurred with an already strained relationship, what has already been revealed now is enough to make working together impossible moving forward. We look forward to seeing our fans on the road this summer and we cannot wait to share our brand new music with the world. It is almost complete. Dave Mustaine, Megadeth, May 24th, 2021. Well, that little that little note where it was like strained relationship. Yeah, strained relationship. That's a all, key word. Yeah, this was already in okay. the motion. They were waiting for him to fuck up. No, no, no. This is Dave Mustaine doing Dave Mustaine stuff to put the blame on Elphison and be like, well, by the way, you know, this guy sued me a long time ago or whatever nonsense. That's what I'm saying. And he's now saying, well, there's more to the story. He's leading us to believe there's more to the story. I truly feel uh, that he's getting fired for exactly what what happened. No, I think I look. We're talking about a guy that already sued him. We're talking about a guy. These two guys were raging alcoholics together. Then they kind of got their life back together, and then so they were probably different people once Mm -hmm. they went sober. And it's like they're trying to work through this. And look, I'm sure there was so much fighting behind the scenes. I'm sure there was so much creative differences. I, I think that Dave was just waiting for, for a reason, waiting mm-hmm. for some kind of public reason to be like, all right, guys, got to go by. So do you think the fan base is upset with Dave Mustaine or understand? I think they're upset with him. No, they're I've, I've seen some of the comments. They're not happy. No, I don't think they're happy as well. You know, and again, unless Dave wants to come out and say, well, this is what happened. But the fans are always going to go well, work through it. Work through it. What about us? Work yeah. through it. And well, it's like sometimes you can't. Dave Elvison is a victim here. Yes. You know, in every way, pretty much. Uh, there was a false accusation of grooming underage people at this time. Nothing's been proven of that. Well, and then they both uh, denied those allegations. Yes, they so. did. But I mean, I don't know if there's something else that's going to come out. But as of, oh. as of right now, when we're talking about nothing else has came out. And I'm assuming nothing will because it's been weeks. Um, then he got a, a very embarrassing and horrible video revenge porn, like put on the internet by these people, you know, with whatever he was doing in his personal life. And so he has stated that he's going to go to the cops. We talked about revenge porn and that stuff. As he, he should. And he's yes. going to press full charges, but he's the victim here. And now he gets fired because of these people doing something really, really rotten to him, you know, um, in, a, in a way extorting him, but they have actually ruined his career for the time being. I mean, there's not, look, Elvison has a solo career going on. He's got other side projects all over the place. I know he's in metal allegiance. I know he's, uh, altitudes and attitudes with uh, Frankie Bello. He's got other things going on, but Megadeth is the, the main is by far. Yeah. yeah the main thing. And so, um, yeah, these people really ruined his life, and I hope that uh, justice will get served for that. But I, I don't, I don't know if we can give Mustaine a pass on that. He's he's taking advantage of a situation that really wasn't Elphison's doing. I think you're yeah. right, but but again, though, it's like for how long have these creative differences been going on? And again, that's even if they are real, we don't know if he's making that okay. up or not. But I do think I do think there was always some kind of a beef there. I mean, once once a band member sues another band member, you don't forget that. Yeah, I, I, the the trust, like yeah. some, something gets broken. So you fire him for revenge? No, porn? no, I'm not saying. <laughs> you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like but, you fire no, him because someone maybe, did something horrible to him. Maybe it just gives him an excuse, like because he hated him after mm. being sued. He's like, okay. Okay. 
And, it's and like a back, ticking time bomb. Yeah, now. and they got back together for the fans. Yeah. You know, so you know, he tried to make it work for the fans, and then this came up, and he's like, "All right, we're done." It sounds like a marriage, right? Am I, <laughs> it, it is. Well, yes, it is. They got, they got back together. For yeah. Kids. Who knows if Elvis's marriage is going to stick together? Yeah, we don't know that well, part yet. And that's another thing too. It's like so you got Dave Mustaine. He's over here like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And now all of a sudden, this guy's a, a Elvis's a, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus too. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. But I mean, he's also a preacher, and yeah. it's like so. I'm sure that in that in that in that group i guess i don't know man who knows who knows where dave's head is at who knows where his superiority complex is at but uh yeah i don't i don't agree with the the decision to let him go will it affect megadeth in any way shape or form uh i think i think the fans um the diehard fans yes i think it will but at the same time though you know, Megadeth. Yeah, they're still headlining, but for the most part, they're playing support for a lot of these. Well, bands. because those are the only original members, correct? Yeah, yeah. Him yeah and I mean, so yeah. I'm pretty sure they can bring someone in, but I know no one's gonna replace. Well, yeah, they Olsen. they could definitely bring bring in another bass player, and they have brought in another bass player. But it's again, just not going to be the same. Yeah, is it Megadeth or is it Dave Mustaine? And that's the thing. When yeah. you had two of the original members in there, you could still call yourself Megadeth. Now it's Dave Mustaine and the boys. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like it yeah. just doesn't. Well, when Slayer did their final tour, Kerry King, Tom Mariah, but if it was just Kerry King, if it was just Tom Mariah, right? It's a different beast. I don't think it's going to affect the brand. I think Dave Mustaine's been Dave Mustaine for so long and it's never really affected them too much. And I think that we see it as a solo project. At least I have since Menza, Elfison and, you know, Friedman left. It's always kind of felt like a solo project since that time. So that's been what, 20 years now. And maybe he got back and again. Um, And um, yeah, so I I don't think it's going to affect the new version of Megadeth in any way, shape or form personally. But I just think that there is just a lot of bad blood. And I think this is just kind of Dave's way of just going, look, I've been wanting to get rid of this for a while, get rid of this headache, and get control of his band back. Mm-hmm. You know, and ten years since uh, Elfison came back, ten years to Megadeth. I think it was 2010 to 2021. So they lasted a long time. So let's go on to our next story: Suspect 208. Aww. We saw this coming. I didn't see this coming. I saw it coming. Well, we first was the heard foreshadowing. About the foreshadowing was when the rest of the members were having beef with uh, Scott Weiland's kid uh, yep. Noah. Noah. Yep. So, and then Noah kind of got into his like rant, and he's like on drugs and all these postings on social media. So, I think that was a lot of the foreshadowing. Like, oh, this is not going to end well. Now, for people that don't know, Suspect Two Hundred Eight is a band that came out with. Uh, Famous dads, right? Yes. So Slash's son is in there. Mm-hmm. Robert Trujillo from uh, Metallica's yeah. son's in there. And then at the time, Scott Weiland's kid, Noah, was the lead singer. And Who we, sounded exactly yes. like Scott Weiland singing. They sounded like, we talked about, we heard the song yeah. Velvet Revolver. And I was like, this is good for rock. This, there's young guys. There's that blood. There's that attitude. I thought it was going to be good. We only heard one song at the time. They came out, as crazy as it sounds, November is when they first got on our radar. Oh. And it's only May. Right, and you can't make it this long. And so, as you brought up the drama, Noah Weiland left the band. They got a new singer. They put out a different song. And it wasn't now, the same. No, it wasn't the same at yeah. all. It sounded completely different. And now they officially are done. <laughs> oh. Think about that. <laughs> but they're, t- they're too young to be having this much drama. Like, bands have this much drama like years down the line when they've been together for like, what, 15, 10 years. But I, I believe... Uh, yes, I agree right? with you, but I believe there's money and all these things that come into bands early on where now it's like, it almost seems like this was just a hobby for these guys to kind of uh. just figure it out. And they're all, enti- I mean, look, I don't want to say they're all entitled, but they are, they're, they don't have to work for a living. Their fathers are rich. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about 
how much money everybody makes, but I'm pretty sure if your dad slash, you don't have to really take much shit. I'm sure you have to. But I mean, I think it also goes back to because they have fathers who are very rich. They don't have to, um, they have different dramas, different problems Mm. because more money is involved. Fame is involved. Do you, do you, yeah, no, fame is completely involved. Do you think it has anything to do with, do you think that youthful people are, are, are just don't have the same work ethic as modern day people? Brandon, think, you go first. <laughs> I think, I think when you're rich, yeah, no, hell no, they don't. Oh, come on. No, I'm going to tell you, especially on. if you're young and Wasn't rich. Wasn't there like a 19 year old, like uh, astronaut or some shit? Okay. I'm saying if you're young and young rich, and rich. Oh, if you're okay. young yeah. and rich right. and, and you know, and you already have this clout and you already know that all I got to do is slap my name on it and at least someone's going to pay attention to my show up you know what noah you can get to it yeah uh, I, I know what he just did there yeah. you like that i didn't like it no. i think he used it the last time too i don't know did, he, he did, did. And it didn't work he reused it it he totally did. worked no it totally worked probably, not this time i probably laughed this time it time. failed do you guys think the band will get back together in by next november noah no i think so <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, no. I think suspect 208 is going to come back with Noah Weiland and the other guys. And nope. it's going to be like, nope, you think it's done? It's totally done. Well, again, no, when you got the lead singer, I've never seen a lead singer again. The guy's like 19 years old, so he's going to act like a fucking moron. But it's like he's on the Instagram going, no, oh, the other guys are bitches. You're the one on drugs. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like you're the one that fucked up. And again, all these people, also, they just can't see it. Just like Scott Weiland couldn't see where he was going wrong for so long. And dude. then it's like, like what happened? It's this. It's like, dude, it's so sad. I hope somebody, I hope Noah gets some help because he is very, very talented. He could have like a great career as a second generation artist. It's like, I would, I would, I'm hoping I'm pulling for him. Yeah. But it's like, come on, man. If you're going to keep doing the same shit your dad was doing, come on. Somebody's got to pull him aside and be like, dude, break the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this is your path right here. Your dad's no longer here to raise you. You know, I mean, you barely even knew him. And mm-hmm. it's like, come on, man, like, and get he it together. Was, and he was in the band for like three months. Yeah. Yeah. So the six month times, he, he only was in there 50%. Like if this band had a Wikipedia page, it would say 2000, November 2020. <laughs> yeah. <to> May 2021. <laughs> band members, past members. Yeah. You know, like it's quick. <laughs> yeah. And there's already past members <laughs> yeah, in six yeah, months. Yeah, like yeah. there's like, a problem. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't think it's just Noah Weiland. I think it's everybody. That's what I'm getting at. You it's have a, all of them. You have a bunch of entitled young talented. Yes. But you have a bunch of entitled young rock stars who know their name carries weight how can you but do you think if they didn't have those names to back them up would they still act like this no Mm-mm. i don't they think would, so. they would work a little bit harder i think they think? would work a little bit harder and i think when you walk into a situation and you know people want to work with you you're not going to be so quick to meet somebody in the middle there's no you're not going to be so quick to compromise you already know what the right thing is mm-hmm. oh, my dad was slash my dad was robert Trujillo. look at the bands that they were in you know it's same thing with stone temple pilots it's like how do you find all these people Where's the leader? There's got to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And I think I think when there's a leader, it's like that always starts from the bottom because the leader like Metallica, Lars was the one that went out there and did all the fucking like so much of the work. But they were at the bottom. The leader, it seemed like, was the non-famous member. Like there was one guy that was, and his father that was like managing them. I think he was kind of the leader, but obviously that didn't. But work if his out. dad was managing him, it's kind of like that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's kind of like so you got the dad and the, the son kind of calling the shots. And again, these guys are kind of like, you know, who are you to tell me what 
It's like, I'm sorry, man. Sometimes you got to get, get put in your place. And when you're not going to allow yourself to do that, when you're not going to allow yourself to grow and understand what true compromise is and how that can lead to success, you're just going to have exactly what happened. Yeah. Six months. I, I, I feel, like I said, I feel the band had potential. We'll see. Th- th- that was a really good first song that we listened to. I thought so. <laughs> but they only did song. like, that's the thing. <laughs> it was, I think it was like two songs. Actually. You know how many great seven inches I have or how many great like little EPs? I'm like, this band's amazing in their first full length. You're like, yikes. Yeah. It's not the same. So I believe people have a good song in them. I mm-hmm. believe there's a lot of bands out there that can put out a crushing, you know, side A, side B. But then when you got to put 45 minutes down or 40 minutes down, mm-hmm. that's that's when I really know. So there was potential for sure. And, but we'll never really know. So moving on to the next story, let's go to a workhorse, a work ethic that we are very proud of. And that's Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Uh, the new story this week on him, guys, is he finally got a smartphone. So proud of him. And uh, at 62, he, Sylvia, answer that own question. He wasn't using one. (gasps) (laughs) Yeah, whoa. Sylvia's, how how does that happen? How does that? Yeah, but this is the thing, though. Now I want to know you why. Put away, you put it how away. Do you do communicate. Other we just well, real quick. He probably has an assistant People that communicates, hate me so right? Much right now, yeah, right. yeah. He, right. He's got. The, he probably's like you communicate, and he stays away from oh, yeah. it. But we just passed around. You know how you guys get your weekly screen time report? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my sad. We just passed around how much it was, <laughs> and I and I mean, Brandon, what do you think? Mine's like three hours and a, three and a half hours a like, day. Yeah. Where I'm like, where I'm just because. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm texting people. I get, I get a bunch of texts. I run a show. So it's like, I get a bunch of text yeah. messages and sometimes you get back and forth, back and forth, back well, and no, forth. Well, no, 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 like, no, no. It's not, the screen time is not text messaging or listening to music. Oh. It's, it's like internet viewing and it's probably social yeah, media yeah, stuff. Social and media. Stuff. I'm on Bleacher Report all yeah. the time. It's like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I have this Email is not even screen time. I have this habit yeah. where I'm constantly checking Bleacher Report for new Brown, Cleveland Browns news. Like it's, it, I have this almost obsessive compulsive situation with the Browns like mm-hmm. all like, day yeah wow. like all day every day all yeah, you, year long you got and a it's problem. like I do have a problem so Brandon's got about three and a half hours of screen time a day on his yeah, smartphone sad. but he's the middle person here that's bad because Sylvia turned it off <laughs> doesn't even <laughs> know <laughs> so we're assuming it's going to be more. Oh, the, yeah, it is. I think it's, if I remember correctly, like five hours. Yeah. My, five dude, hours. It's just like, my thing is, it's all about just checking to see if anybody's, like, again, I'm running a show. So it's like, is anybody texting me? Is that, you know, like, people want to come to the show again, DMs and stuff. But three and a half fucking hours. That's what I'm saying. I look at that and I go, dude, you're sad. How, I know. How, many, how many hours do you sleep a day? Oh, man. Six. Probably five. Five or six? Yeah. So, at 18 hours a day, you're on your phone for three and a half hours. Yeah. Okay. Sad. Uh, I mean, it's sad. It's it's not... I mean, you know... <laughs> It's sad. I should be doing way more with my life. I know. But you like know? when you're on, for me, I'm on Instagram mostly. So I'm just like scrolling. And then sometimes I talk to myself like, why the, Why are you scrolling? What are you looking for? There, There's nothing I will that's going to satisfy tab- you. Right? I, this is what will happen. I'll get a funny video, right? And then yeah. and then all of a sudden I start going down the rabbit hole and it's oh, a bunch of other yeah. funny videos. Like I saw this one where this guy was trying to carjack some dude in a car. Mm-hmm. And he runs out. He runs out with his gun in front of the guy. He's like, "Get out of the car!" And this guy just hits the gas and blasts this guy across the street. Like it was nuts. Would you rather see that video or read ten pages in a book? See that video, okay? <laughs> Every fucking time. And that's where we're different. <laughs> Justice was served because I got called out on my screen time by my wife, and she was like, "Are you serious with this?" And I showed you guys a picture of it. Yeah. And I had ten minutes a day. <laughs> 
That was fantastic. It. And she was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Get I'm like, I, "But that's why I'm not. Get... If I'm not on my phone talking, because I don't, I'm not a texter either. I'm like, you call me if you got some shit. Yeah. Because uh, that's how I, I'm a productive. I mean, I do have to do email and stuff like that. Yeah. But if I'm not talking or emailing, my phone is away mm. from me at all times on a charger. If it <sighs> rings, I go to it. If it dings. When I get to it, <laughs> so yeah. if someone texts me, it's like, and I'm watching a movie, I don't go check my phone. I'm like, I'm going to finish this movie. I'm yeah. going to read this book. If it rings, I go to it. So for me to actually, all right, now I know for me to actually like, I'm going to call my Pete. Look at this video. So, <laughs> so now, now Brandon's mad. He's like, why does this guy text me? Cause people have this in tune thing to get texts right away. Oh no, no, I know. I don't. Yeah. You know me, but a yeah. lot of people are like, what's taking so long? It's been 20 minutes. And it's like, that's me. If it's so oh, serious, it my phone is <laughs> If it's there, something bro. serious, so I'll, I'll text you like, I'm like, dude, seriously, I need you. And if you get You'll bing, bing, me. bing, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll call I'll me. call you, yeah, yeah if it's something serious. serious. If, yeah. I, if I get six bing, bing, bings in a row, I mm-hmm. still don't go. I'm like, man. That would drive me nuts. Yeah. Because uh, I'd be like, someone's mad at me. Oh, no, I'm never mad. I just, I'm reading a book or I'm doing something with the kids. Ten pages in a book. Yeah. Ugh. Or I'm, dude, you know what? Even if you, if you, if you have children out <laughs> there, though, and you sit down and you're teaching them, like I'm teaching my kid how to write and do sentences, and it's, you got to sit over them and watch it. So when you have a ding, if I go over there and check my phone and come back, now he's confused. Right. Or if he's mm-hmm. reading to me. So it's yeah, like yeah. you have to be present. And I this need thing it. takes you, un, like you're just not present. So yeah. the 10 minutes is a record. Last week, I want you to know it went up 76% to <gasps> 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and you know why? Because the NBA playoffs started, and, and I checked scores, <laughs> so it did go up twenty minutes a day. But wow. uh, I wonder how much Bruce Dickinson—he's going to be like, "Hey, I got a smartphone," and I, I wonder how much his screen time is going to be at the start. It's probably going to be like fifteen minutes a day. Well, then, I was going to ask, like, what was his uh, like review of a of a smartphone? Yeah, I want to know why. I want to know why he are. finally got one. That's what I want to. This know. is this. Let's do it. Okay. This is what he said to Planet Rock almost a year ago. Now I got this smartphone from the the maiden office. They said, "Here's your smartphone." And I thought, that's very nice. So I put it away, never touch it again until he's doing something known as the heavy metal truance charity cycle ride. Mm -hmm. And that's when he picked up his phone until truance. And they said, you need to do this stuff. Download your every move on this app. And I put the SIM card in. So this whole process actually has encouraged me to put in the SIM card. And now I have a smartphone. So basically, my life is going to suck from now on. I'll be living my life vicariously. But it does do interesting things. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like you're, you're selling away your independence for the interesting things. What 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 interesting things? I don't know. Porn. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> Twitter. I, again, watching no, videos of people getting hit by cars. Was, I mean, porn was the first one yeah, on your, your list. Mouth. Of course. And let me tell you something. I was driving. Jesus uh, I have a truck. What are you watching? I have a truck. I'm just saying. I know there's a lot of guys out there that got to get that release. Uh, I'm, oh. you know, some above people sometimes. And when you look down, there's a car next to you. And I'm a truck, and I had my kids in the car and my wife and oh, I looked yeah. over and the passenger of this car was watching porn on his phone <gasps> yeah I tried to videotape it right and so uh, he's watching it and there's somebody sitting next to him too so I don't know if it was a man or woman because I couldn't see what there was obviously I'm thinking but I'm like this dude's just chilling and watching think, porn I think he's watching the porn away from the driver yeah <laughs> now I'm that's like, weird that is weird why are you just watching porn I'm in a, yeah. I'm in a passenger seat watching porn that is, is interesting thing. is he watching for the storyline you know what's crazy is I remember people do this I, dude I've never watched porn with another person in the room and you know what's crazy is I remember growing up when we had to have VHS tapes like somebody had their 
their dad's yeah. porn or like you want to watch it. I'm like, not with you. You That's know what I mean? Like, get away from me. Because like, you do stuff. Yeah. What? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Sylvia. Because you do stuff. So you do, you do, you do, oh, I'm not You do it. interesting things. You do interesting you do, things you, to you, your just body. Just like a smartphone. And you want to be alone. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. You do, you, know, you do things like, you know, bleach your hair. That's interesting. So anybody, <laughs> if anybody's got a better screen time on their phone. Can you right, imagine bleaching your hair and then you got porn in the background? I can't imagine. <laughs> no. Just I mean, especially if you just like I the, just did. the sweet sound of ball slapping against ass. You're just kind of like, oh, it just really puts me to sleep. Really, really takes the edge off. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like if you. It's uh, like again, how people meditate. Look, it's it's, their, that's their ocean We're sound. making fun of it, but it's an addiction for people. Like yes. a really, really yes, bad addiction. It is. So I don't yes. want to make fun of it. But if you are bleaching your hair and watching porn, you're desensitized to sex. Or you, it's like there's something. It's, there, it's just going to be Something sad. switched off. Yeah, right? something switched off. And uh Unfortunately, yeah, it's addiction for people. They don't know what else to do and they're bored, just like Candy huh. Crush. It's well, maybe just, that's what that guy was doing. Like he's maybe, just, maybe, yeah. And I made fun of his him. addiction. I called him out on the show, and I don't even know if it was a girl or a guy, but I'm assuming it's a guy. Yeah, is that fair? <laughs> Am I allowed to say? It's I think probably you're allowed to say girl. that. Yeah, let's not. Let's get a pronoun correct, Pete. Last story you want to talk about, and that's because we have differing opinions here. Is that Seven Dust is Lejean Witherspoon and uh, Daughtry? Chris Daughtry, I believe Aww, his name. yeah. They covered Temple of a Dog's hunger strike, and I, I'm not really. I feel like the Temple of a Dog record, because of its background on the Mother Love Bone and the yeah. tribute to um, the late Andrew singer Wood. Andrew Wood. Thank you, um, and all that stuff being done by his bandmates and his friend Chris Cornell. I feel like that's kind of a sacred thing. I remember when they did the Chris Cornell thing, uh, Say It Hello to Heaven was covered by Miley Cyrus. She did she did a but fine was, job. Yeah. But that was like a tribute to Chris Cornell and his career. And um, look, I, I, I'm not a big... I'm not going to say that they don't sound good, LeJean and Chris Daughtry. Yeah. They sound fine. I'm just not a big fan of touching a tribute album. To someone that they, they didn't know, <laughs> it's different to me than hey, I'm covering the dark side of the moon, or hey, I'm covering yeah, you know, this is a one-off band. Who the hell covered was, dark side of the moon? I mean, Jesus Christ, I have a Flaming Lips record with Peaches and Henry Rollins on there to cover the entire album. So tons of people have covered dark side of the moon. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's awful. No, it's good. It was good. No. It's, 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 it's <laughs> no. Like, I mean, no. Like Pink Floyd albums have been covered all over the town. Led Zeppelin's been covered all over town. My point is, is that. Temple of the Dog, though, it, it's different. It's it's a different beast. So I, I was not a fan of this. You guys are good with this cover. You're fine. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But Chris Cornell's, uh, like, his vocals, like, those notes, mm-hmm. Daughtry did a really great job in hitting those, so I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't. I don't have a problem with it. See, Pete's, I have no issue with the. Pete's with, upset because it was an album that was dedicated to Andrew Wood, and because now you're all of a sudden you're taking away someone's dedication and trying to make it your own. I guess. I mean, is that kind of that's what, what it is to me? Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like no. This this wasn't just a record. This wasn't just a yeah. Band. Did this, this offend was, you? A little bit. See, I'm like, I, why, why would you guys touch this shit? See, this, is, so, this isn't your friend that died. See, you know, it's not like, your friend either. No, it's not my friend either. <laughs> but, uh, but it was theirs. Hey, man, I've heard. People, I don't want a second version of well, Hunger Strike. Well, what about what about when I people, was mad when Bad Wolves did Zombie? I was what, like, what? The what fuck? about when people cover uh, Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven? I mean, it's like that was a tribute song. I mean, or it's imagine. like it, yeah, imagine we've heard all those. We've heard those covers. I mean, it's like, are you getting mad about that? No, because that's just, not a band that came together to make one album. I think Temple of a Dog's a different scenario in all these cases. I believe it's a band that came together to do one album to mm. do a tribute to their friend, their late friend, and did nothing else. 
they did yeah they did some reunion tours and they did some shows together later on in life but my point is is that this whole project was like this thank you and, and moving on before they they went on to their other band so it's to me it has it's almost it's almost like being like um, there's some significance there, to it. there is yeah. some significance to the timing to the person i think when you listen to that record to the learn, timing when that album was released yeah andrew mm-hmm. wood you learn about mother love bone and yeah. you learn it's it's like this whole thing where hey if you covered any chris cornell song for either whether it be from higher truth or all the way down to to whatever any Soundgarden song if you were to cover any Soundgarden song i i don't think it's the same because that is in essence not this tribute album and this beautiful like every one of those songs so whether it be reached down like this is to me one of the defining rock records of yeah. that generation yeah but what if there was significance for mm. daughtry and lejean well it can't be the same well no but it it's has- just a great tune and hey dude i get it if you cover a tune like i hear songs and i'm like metal band cover this in some way you guys will get really yeah. popular it'll be a hit across the radio like you, i mean i remember i just heard digging in the dirt by peter garby i'm like what metal band's gonna do a new metal cover of that song it's gonna be fucking a huge hit you know i get covering songs by artists that have this inflection you know like zombie was a huge hit for bad wolves of course that's cover is gonna work like to a t that song is like a perfect angry song that the cranberries did you mm-hmm. know but this song, like I said, it's got a little more meaning to it. I just think, though, with those guys, let's just say that they had a personal loss in their life and they heard that song and it helped get him through. Now, all of a sudden, they have their own connection to mm. it. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to take that away from All them. right, you guys. So I'm the asshole. Yes. Yeah. What's yes. Sacred? Finally. What's sacred in music, then, that people shouldn't touch it? Pink Floyd. I just, that's not true. You just said shouldn't. And I said, no, you should never touch Pink Floyd. Why? Out of curiosity, why not? They're the greatest. When it comes to... Who's the Pink Floyd of this generation? Oh, no one. Tool. Well, yeah, you can say Tool. All day. But they're not anywhere close to what Pink Floyd brought to the table. Like, nowhere close. I'm sorry. Like when you when I you don't look know at, if I agree with when that. you look at a double album like The Wall, mm-hmm. and then you know, then you got Wish You Were Here, and the, 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 there's three albums. There's three albums that Pink Floyd just are. are they're so masterful. And it's like, and, and then you can go even further, you know, Delicate Sound of Thunder and, and Animals. But it's like, when you look at Wish You Were Here, The Wall, and Dark Side of the Moon, it's like, dude, those were foundational albums. Okay. And whole, and, and it's like, and I don't know, there's just no way, whenever they put Tool in that category, I'm like, look, I get what you're trying to say, but dude, it's so I sonically think, I think, just. Uh, lateralis, you can put right next to The Wall 30 years from now. No. no I think so. I loved Lateralis. I did. Okay. I think Anima, you can put right next to Dark Side of the Moon. I'm just saying, like, they have these foundational albums that nobody will be able to touch that will be listened. 50 years from now, you don't think people will be listening to Tool? I think, of course, 50 years. But I also think that 50 years from now, they're probably going to be covered by a couple of times. Because, again, nowadays, nowadays, because everybody's attention span is so short, you have to throw out there something that's familiar. uh, familiar. So Mm -hmm. they'll go, okay, let me give them a shot. that's what this song is to me. Okay. Even though I'm the asshole. This is just familiarity. People aren't going to go down the rabbit hole. This is going to be a big hit for these guys because you said they sang it right. They 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 did it vocally. They did it justice. But this is a tribute. But what if you get someone who listens and they're like 16? They're like, oh, I really like this song. Oh, it's a cover. Oh, it's a cover by Temple or it's a cover from Temple of the Dog. Let me, you know, look more into that that band. Oh, it's Soundgarden is involved. Oh, Pearl Jam is involved. If, if oh, Mother Love Bone is involved. If their first, this is what I think, and I, I stand by this. If your first initial reaction is the cover or the remake, if it's a film, then that's what you're going to like. 
You're never going to go back and be like, that's better than what mm, first grabbed uh, me. I'm not going to know. That's, that's not true. That's, 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 that's not true. That's not true. I've heard, I'm that's, the asshole here. That's yes. not fair. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I, I've heard covers where I go, oh, that's really good. And then I go listen to the original. And You're like, I oh, fall, that's why that's well, really the original. Well, I fall more in love with the original because it's like, it was the original. I'm sorry. Like, I, I meant this... Again, when you're when you're my age, you know, and you've you've already felt like you've heard every new sound that could possibly be brought to the table, mm-hmm. and with how artists are being just limited nowadays because everybody has got that short attention span, it's like you're never gonna have like the only band that can do a six seven minute song is Tool, you know what I mean? Or I mean, obviously like metal metal bands, but I'm talking like when you're talking like popular radio and stuff like that, yeah, everything's like three four minutes long. Oh, you're talking about radio play. Tool, radio, tools, yeah, like only. commercial radio. Yeah, there's not a lot of bands that are putting out 10-minute songs. But no, not, e- not even songs. like, you know, the Metallica, yeah. the five minutes. The, the. But unfortunately, though, it's like you kind of have to do that nowadays just to kind of get somebody to give your band a chance. I mean, I that's, that's where we're going. At. That's like the SoundCloud. That's like the YouTube. It's like hopefully you can get on one of these Octane shows that here's a new music, and then they, they throw it out there, and all of a sudden you're singing the words to a song you never heard before, but you know the words because it's cover mm-hmm. you know what i mean so you're mm-hmm. like oh wow this is really cool and i like where they break it down here i like where they change things up here you know um and again if they sing it right and if you're with somebody who really respects a voice and respects talent then you're you're you, winning points. yeah you're winning yeah exactly i don't think it's gonna hurt you okay well i uh, i am the uh asshole i'm the asshole in this yeah. conversation you guys write me rise to offend at gmail.com am i the asshole here or it's, is this... uh, it's asshole at, at rise to offend at gmail.com no it's no, not. Don't, don't have them right in the wrong place attention don't, asshole yeah. I, do, I don't think people should cover uh, temple of the dog oh i stand by. that's fair, fair. I, it's no. fair look i think it's fair it's i think fair. it's fair no. leave the band alone no 16 year old kids you can hear the original version. It's everywhere. But at the same time. <laughs> right. but well, how would they know if they don't hear this cover? You know, you don't know. Well, radio stations still play the original version. D- right. Well, yeah, yeah. So you don't need to hear the cover. <laughs> but it's, like, I- it's not like the song's going to go away. And, Hunger Strike's not going away. And the funny thing is, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's not still like, getting radio. And the, and the funny thing is, it's not like LeJean is, you know, 19, 20 years old. That's he true. was just as old as probably Chris oh, Cornell. Yeah, yeah. You both know, these so, guys, both these guys. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but when, right. but when, I think it's fine. But when people team up though they always do covers they always do covers. you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. daughtry Mm -hmm. and lejean and and that's the thing with daughtry like daughtry you want to talk about like a popular voice you know i mean that's that's the kind of voice that would resonate with america he was on american idol and stuff like that and you know he got it he had his fan base that way and then obviously lejean coming in with with seven dust so again i just think it's just a song to get people tweeting but i don't know the reason why they covered it and if, if I do find a legit reason, then maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll back off. Yeah. Or maybe if they do give us a good legit reason, I think Pete should back off. Yeah. Oh, I'm backed off already. Back off. It's, I'm backing off and I'm moving forward. Back off, ho. Moving back right off, forward ho. to the interview, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. Here's my interview guy with Thomas Lindbergh from At The Gates. Everybody, what's going on? Petter, Metal Sucks Podcast on the phone. I got Tomas from At The Gates. And we are here to talk about... The latest record, the new record, The Nightmare of Being. It's coming out July 2nd. Now, um, let's jump into the philosophy of this record because I know that um, the concept, if I'm not mistaken, is about pessimism and kind of a lot of the philosophies about that. Uh, Tell me how you went down this rabbit hole and uh, your feelings about what you've learned when studying kind of the, uh, the mindset of being a pessimistic person. Uh. I think it's, uh, first of all, there's a main difference between 
the pessimist philosophy and being a pessimistic person because a pessimistic person is probably more you know in regular kind of vocabulary person with a bleak outlook pessimism is more what, what i learned is about uh kind of embracing the idea of there's no answer and all that all those kind of aspects to it and maybe also uh how can i say it uh confront that and also be aware of your defense mechanisms to tackle that that you do in everyday life you know like through whatever you have uh different kinds of escapism arts religion whatever you like you you acknowledge the fact that like why you, you you're using these defense mechanisms uh and i guess I mean, I'm not a pessimist per se. Uh, I was just intrigued by the whole idea of it. But I found some some interesting thoughts there and actually g- gave me a little bit more positive <laughs> outlook on life, which might sound weird, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's never going to be a d- disappointed pessimist, basically. <laughs> yes. You get my meaning? Absolutely. No, I, I've actually come to terms and I, I feel like, I don't know if I put this philosophy together, but I come to terms with a lot of things that I think have helped me be more positive, where... I, I was really stuck up on I need some sort of truth in a lot of things. And then I, I've kind of given away that truth's only mathematical, like two plus two equals four, you know, science, things like that. But truth between it, humans and individuals, it's all from their own perspective. And uh, yeah. giving up on things like uh, that being black and white, even justice, I don't I don't feel there's a, a, a lot of time to focus on what people f- feel justice means. Um, giving up on a lot of those things that I think are out of my control have given me a more positive outlook on life. And it sounds yeah. like it kind of comes in line with this philosophy that you're reading. Is that is that kind of correct or no? Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly 100% right. And I mean, basically, I was just, um, as usual, for looking through books that I got recommended. And I just stumbled upon this uh, Ligotti book, uh, The Conspiracy Against the Human Race. And it's kind of like an introduction to the ideas of pessimist philosophy. And of course, he goes through all the classics like Schopenhauer, Kioran, and all these. Uh, but he, he wrote, it's kind of what he called it, like a, uh, not scientific per se. His, it's more like an essay, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he drags you in with the, his way of thinking, you know, in regards to these like masters of pessimist philosophy and I, of course I got intrigued and started reading a lot of the original sources as well but for me it was more like as I said draw out from this philosophy the ideas that kind of resonated within me and I guess with with the age and experience also comes the idea that you know you're never going to be fully learned and never have a full view of life and uh, just piece together some ideas that make you go through life a little bit easier, you know? Yes, absolutely, man. No, I completely agree. And I think that I'm, I'm 40 right now, so I'm a couple years younger than you, but I think that I needed that to start moving ahead in my life. I think everything, all those other philosophies and thoughts that I had growing up, um, I think were more based in fear. Like I think I was motivated most by that and that held me yeah. back in a lot of aspects. And I do feel the youth, um, will always attach to that because your defense mechanisms have to come from being afraid of some outlook that your imagination yeah. puts you in, right? Do you, do you agree with that? Exactly. I mean, 
it's just like identifying these defense defense mechanisms and like why do I cling on to this? Of course, it's a little bit, you know, hypocritical a little bit maybe for for my side because, of course, I embrace art as a escape <laughs> a little bit. But as long as I'm aware of that, why I do it, why does it make me feel good to to express myself in art and to like acknowledge that a part of it might be a defense mechanism. I mean, this album, of course, is uh, done within, you know, the pandemic uh, period. And of course, it was our way of dealing with it was to go further <laughs> into the record and making it bigger and more uh, eclectic or whatever, you know. Um, and that's, of course, again, a defense mechanism. But as, as soon as you're aware of that and you can put it in a box, you know, <laughs> You know why you function a certain way, and that makes it easier. Yeah, dude. No, absolutely. There's a lyric um, from the album, and, and I don't have the physical copy, but I was lucky enough to get to listen to the album, you know, before the interview for quite some time, and I'm completely enthralled in it. But there's a lyric that hit me every time on the title track: uh, "The Parasite of the Subconscious." Um, yeah. And I, I every time I, I'm like, "This means this. This means that," because I feel like that is such a, a powerful um, lyric for me as an individual at this stage. Tell me about how you came up with that and maybe what it meant to you when you, you put those words together. It's a little bit about exactly what we talked about, mm -hmm. like to kind of be in contact with, with your fears and, and your struggles and know how they affect you. Um, that they, it won't make the troubles go away, but it make, makes you, uh, how can you say this? The awareness of it makes it easier to bear. I mean, there there will always be some shit thrown at you every day, you know, like in your life. There will always be some kind of depression going on or whatever. But as long as you can acknowledge the fact and, and work, learn to live with it, work with it. And like the subconscious is a big thing about that, I think, because we're kind of socialized into these fears since day one. Mm -hmm. as, as you mentioned, with youth and growing up, it's like it takes a lot of effort to just see clearly through through all of that, you know. I guess that's what I'm, I'm reaching for. Hundred percent. I love it. The parasite of the subconscious. For me, when I was uh, when I was growing up, I was always like, I have to annihilate any weakness, anything like that. But by doing that, I would desensitize myself, and I wouldn't feel right. And so, yeah. I, I then at a certain point, I was like, I have to do the opposite. I have to acknowledge and be aware of my weaknesses for whatever reasons, so I can continue yeah. to feel and connect with humans. And um, it's crazy that the greatest commodity to me of all time, and I think money, whatever anybody talks about, the greatest commodity in the world is youth, right? But we, our, yeah. our mind is never mature to the point where we can enjoy that commodity. It's, it's such, that's when you talk about like the hip, hypocritical uh, kind of feelings that we have with art versus um, thought process, but yeah. life works that way where we're always kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's just like the, you have to like let go of it a little bit and yes. it's like, I mean, people with depression, you know, like can almost be afraid of those feelings mm. until they are, you know, learn to live with it and then it's, it's okay to feel shit. <laughs> you it know, is. and stuff like that. I mean, it's, yeah, I think but it's okay. Today is less, today is less shit than than yesterday or whatever. You know, yeah, it's the breakthrough. I think I think it's exactly like you said. I think it's okay, and I think life becomes um, 
much more meaningful when you accept those yeah. those feelings as just real and not fight against them. Yeah. Um, and some, they can live, live a little bit more fully, I guess. You know, yeah. of course, now it feels like we're, I mean, you know, you and me we're talking about this like this grand outlook on life, but it's just like a, some things that I've learned through, through all this yeah. uh, has made me a little bit like easier, I guess, you know, uh, for myself to, to go through this really <laughs> brutal times that we've been through, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it kind of put, put a finger on it in, in a good way for me. But of course, also like the whole aesthetic of the philosophy, uh, the bleakness, the, like the melancholy, you know, the depressive, almost oppressive elements is of course also aesthetically perfect for a death metal album. That's <laughs> something I couldn't let go, you know? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. In the audience, like I said, it speaks to us very well. Now I do want to talk about uh, everybody. One more time, I'm reminding you guys, if you haven't pre-ordered yet, the nightmare of being is coming out July 2nd, guys, make sure you're doing that. But I do want to talk about the overall vibe musically to the record. Um, there's a lot of elements, you know, uh, you guys got bit by a lot of different things on this record. There's obviously the excellence at the gates, death metal, but there seems to be like a doom element kind of on it as well and many other elements. Tell me about what the vibe was you guys were going for during recording this in the pandemic. I mean, we, we, we always talk a lot, especially in the start of the process, but continuously as well, like the how to link uh, the lyrical concept with, with the musical uh, emotions. And the, uh, like the the deep depths <laughs> was where we're, we're going for this time, you know. And also, how can we color those emotions with different kind of, uh, how can I say, musical elements uh, to make it deeper and more, you know, like it will draw you in more than just the death metal sound all the time, 100%. And I think that was the, the vision when then we went in with and maybe even let go of our boundaries even more to dare a little bit more to you know let the emotions carry it uh further than before that's where you have all these like you know the proggy influences uh, the doom as you said and all that like almost minimalistic at some points to like the emotions was the most important even for the music Yes, dude. And, and the track that I, it stands out is uh, for me from the first listen was Garden of Cyrus because there is, it sounds like saxophones in that track and almost like a spoken word performance from you. Um, and the amazing thing about it, it, it leads right into a symphonic element before we're, we're hit with a, you know, a classic kind of death metal sound of touched by the white hands of death. Now, um, was Garden of Cyrus, was that a difficult track for you guys to put together because of, of, of the saxophone elements and all those other parts? I guess it was it was uh, not difficult as in we knew where we were we wanted to take it especially like I said emotionally and uh, we had an idea of the outlines of the instrumentation pretty early on uh, of course it's like a big project but like it's it's a fun project <laughs> to work on you know it's a uh, fulfilling in the sense that you you know that you're like leaving the safety <laughs> the safe nest a little bit um but i, I guess for, exa for example the saxophone is the first time that we ever uh had an improvisational piece on an fh record and uh improvisation and and metal usually don't go hand in hand that well 
because uh, metal is more about precision and uh, you know serious orchestration and meticulousness. Uh, and it was interesting to see what a freeform jazz musician would do with with that, you know, the chord progression or whatever. Uh, and it was just so fulfilling to hear, to hear him go in there and just go wild with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I agree with you completely, man. And with this record, I feel like a lot of the At The Gate records, the sequencing is is probably spot on, right? But was it difficult to sequence this record because of so many of the different elements that you guys were adding to the sound? Uh, again, not difficult, but it took a lot of work. <laughs> uh, so it, it was uh, stuff like that has always intrigued us, you know, the dynamics of an album. Uh, that's why it's always so hard, like uh, releasing uh, the first single track, especially of, of an album like this, ah. which track should it be, you know, it's stuff like that. Because we're not a singles band, we're an album band. And sometimes we write elements to fit into the sequence, you know? And sometimes we have to figure it out afterwards. But a lot of the stuff is actually catered to the synchronization of the tracks a little bit. For example, just what you mentioned, how the, you know, the intro of Touched by the White Hands of Death, it was so obvious that it was going to come after Garden Cyrus and lead into that mm-hmm. kind of song. So that was the uh, theory from day day one when we had those things that this is how it should lead together. You know, mm. no, nice, dude. I'm glad I picked up on that as a listener because for me, um, you can you can tell it just it just flowed right in together. You know, and uh, and I, I and the same thing. I was like, that had to be sequenced correctly. That had to be thought of ahead of time. And you mentioned the hard the difficulty of like I don't want to say picking a single. You know, for an album that should be listened into its entirety. But Spectre of Extic- Extinction, this, we will be playing that song at the after the interview, but um, that track is like the perfect, it's the opening track, but it's the perfect representation pretty much of the whole album. I think the tempo is right and everything for what fans are going to get. So how did you guys get to the point to decide, hey, let's release this one first? Uh, I guess from the tracks that still has the, what you would call like the more typical at the gate sound, it was still the one that had a little bit of adventurousness in it more to like lead on to the more experiment, uh, experimental tracks on the record. But I mean, again, it would be more fun to release Cardinal Cyrus as the first single, but you know, there's of course a record label involved in, in these decisions as well. But that would probably be, you know, the eye opener, but uh, at least we, we talked a lot about it, and we, there's going to be like videos and singles for for a lot of track on, on the record this time, and also some of the more uh, what do you call it, less uh, typical tracks, mm. so to say. Nice. <laughs> They're going to have videos as well. Beautiful, man! Exciting, guys. So, fans, singles all the way up for the next couple months. It's going to be great, dude. Now, you did get a, a guitarist, uh, Andy LaRocque from obviously King Diamond on this record. Tell us how he got involved um, and uh, pretty much how that whole story came together. I mean, for, for us, we, we uh, worked with Andy before on, on two different records mm. uh, for doing solos for us. Uh, this time we wanted to record all the guitar parts with him, mainly because it is so much going on on this record, uh, so much details, uh, and especially the guitar work is kind of more 
out there than it ever has been before. Uh, so we wanted someone, someone with like this, the perfect ear for, for guitars to record the actual guitar parts. Uh, and as we knew him from before, we, we started talking about that. Of course, Jens Bogdan was involved in it as well, uh, the producer of the record. But to, to record guitars with that caliber of guitar player, uh, it really lifts it up a little bit. And, you know, we knew that we were going to get the takes we wanted from him. Uh, just with perfect ear <laughs> for guitar work, basically. And while we were discussing that, of course, like the third time, the third time's the charm a little bit. <laughs> we're doing a solo as well, I guess. But I mean, he, he's one of our favorite uh, metal guitar players ever. So, and he knows that the gates sound so well by now, so he knows what we're after. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the most underrated guitar players um, out there. So, so just distinct sound every time I hear him. It's, it's a fantastic thing. But I, yeah, I do love the collaborations you guys always do. And I, I do love the fact that he did get on this record. Now, every, every time I have a, you know, like a, an artist that's in the death metal scene that's been around for 30 years, like yourself. Um, and the big movements were obviously Florida out here in the States and Sweden at the same time. But who, who do you consider? Um, if we can just segue away a little bit about music history, who do you consider the inventor of death metal from from your perspective? Well, I guess it came a little bit from all over the place again back in the day as well. You know, you had the you had the early Hellhammer and you mm. know the destruction and Sodoms and even Bathory, you know, here in Europe, but like very insulated, <laughs> you know, in their own countries in the small underground scene. But at the same time, I mean, you can't take it away that uh, Possessed coined the term on the Seven Churches record. Mm. Um, but I think the first band that like really got out there and put it on the, on the map, not saying they were like thrash or black or whatever, or uh, I mean, even Destruction called themselves like speed metal in the beginning, you know, because there, no, no, there was no formula. Uh, I think Death from Florida... Uh, well, at the time of the first record from California, actually, right? Um, were the first to like ever release a proper death metal album in, the, in that sense, for me at least, like an underground band that uh, came from the tape trading scene. So I think that's like the first like proper death metal band, even though it had been touched upon like cornerstones from all over the place before. Yeah, dude, I agree with you. That's great. I've heard, I've heard many people say Seven Churches, but I I feel like that's the first death metal vocal style. And you're right, he coined it, but it, it does sound very thrashy to me. Where Scream Blood... Yeah, but, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it's still like uh, Possessed is a total different beast altogether mm. because of the crazy guitar work and everything. It's like... That's over the top in so many ways. I love it. Yeah. I oh. mean, then you still you still you still have the isolated bands as well. You have Slaughter from Canada. You have uh, Repulsion. You know, there's 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 tons of them out there. They were super early yeah. <laughs> as well. So it's it's very hard. But I, I love all those bands, of course. I'm an old school geek when it comes to that metal. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And Chuck Schuldiner, uh was in Slaughter in Canada for a short time before recording Scream Bloody Gore. Um, which I found yeah. out. So it's like, uh, but yeah, Screenplay, I feel the same way. I always, I like having those conversations because uh, the, the same names come up, but it's always, I wondered where it was coming from kind of on that side of the, uh, you know, the world. But it's same, similar thing is that that's the the pinnacle record from those two dudes. Dude. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, of course we've, we've heard, mm-hmm. as I said, similar stuff before from Bathory and Hellhammer and Destruction and the likes, Sodom, whatever, from over here as well. But 
I think we still consider them like thrash, but very brutal thrash. Mm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's so cool, man. So I want to. So thirty years. We just talked about it, thirty years in the scene. Fantastic legacy at the gates has, and your career with the many records you've put out, whether it be with Disfear, The Crown. Lock up! You just—they just announced that you're reunited with that band. So tell me about how you guys got kind of back together and what the new music is going to sound out when uh, the Lock Up record comes out. Well, I mean, there's—it's been talked back and forward about that for 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 a while actually. Shane started mentioning the dual vocal attack mm-hmm. he wanted. I mean, I just wanted to make sure that Kevin was on board for that idea, and when he approached me and said, "Like, yeah, yeah, I'm really into this as well." And we were, you know, everybody were super isolated in their own little bubbles during the pandemic. And we just started sending stuff back and forward. But I mean, it's pretty cool how it turned out because it's it's kind of like an experiment in that way that we never really got together at all. Uh, with At The Gates, we still did that, you know. But um, for Lockup, it was more like, let's see if we can do this and what will happen. And I think it became a more adventurous beast because of that the lockup album and it's really that's like it's it's brutal as hell basically and I'm, I'm i'm really proud of it and it's it's fun to share the vocals with kevin as well a uh, great man great vocalist so but we have totally different styles and when they blends together it sounds crazy as hell basically mm. <laughs> it does dude i'm excited no I, I when i when i heard when it first was announced i'm like this is going to be really 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 cool and interesting so that is something cool, and and the you know and that's the thing is like um when we're talking about like the comeback record um at war with reality was met with just so much love everybody loved it we just talked about possessed I felt the same way about revelations of oblivion I don't know if you really enjoyed that comeback record as well but um um looking back on a couple years ago at war with reality how do you feel about that right now today after its comeback and uh and and had some years to kind of sit under it. I guess all uh, albums, uh, you know, it's this is probably like the most uh, like a, I answer like a politician, but <laughs> they they are, they are a picture of where the band is at a certain point, and you have to do those albums to reach where you are now. Um, I guess what the reality was where we were that right then. Um, I like for me, I like the adventurous side of it but it's held back a little bit uh, compared to the To Drink From The Night Itself and, and the new record. Uh, and again, you know, you mentioned the parasites of the subconscious. Uh, it's probably down. <laughs> this, is, this is before I became aware of those parasites because even how much we felt, okay, we're doing this for ourselves. There's no pressure. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but we, we actually you know wrote and recorded the record before we even said anything about about it uh, to anyone and that was like the whole idea was if we were not happy with the end product we would not release it <laughs> um but still of course there was the subconscious pressure and i mean i like the record a lot uh but i can hear like in the back of my head yeah here we are playing it a little bit safe like catering to the sort of the soul fans a little bit more than we are doing now um but i think we had to do that record to to be able to do to go further, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, do, I think with the growth, and it does follow, like you said, when it's technically they follow up to Slaughter of the Soul, I think that does follow kind of the pattern of the band. Like even though there was that break, there wasn't really a stop. And to get us to the next record and then here, I feel like the growth um, really, really worked out well for you guys. I don't know. I, I, every record I'm a fan of, but uh, what fans are going to get in their hands when you guys do get this new record is just something original, new, and like I said, but clearly at the gates. And uh, I think that that's a difficult thing for death metal bands to uh, to get to, especially at this point in their career. So um, that's got to be. Do you feel the same? Is it invigorating to know that? Uh, it, yeah, it's really it's really cool for us. Just you know, like you know, before when you, we talked uh, about like you know, all the saxophone, the mm. prog elements, and all that. It's like people are going to wonder, you know, like yeah, how does this fit into? But I mean, you still listen to an Gate song; it still feels like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's. Like the challenge that we had on this record, and and we like challenges. Otherwise, we can't really move forward. I mean, even writing "Slaughter of the Soul" was a challenge because you know before that we had written all these intricate, early weird death metal songs, and all of, all of a sudden we wanted to do, do like short, sharp shocks, you know, of death metal uh, on "Slaughter of the Soul." So that was also a challenge. But when, when we had done it, we were done with it. Now we wanted to move further. And I, I guess that's the whole idea of being in a band for us to to go through these challenges and keep the main core of the sound, but still develop it. And it, it, it is hard and tricky, but it's also what is fun with it, you know? Yeah, for the listener as well. It relates, you know, um, which is which is excellent. So last question before I get you out of here, and this might be a little tough one, but I, I you know, I'm always curious about this. But before I do that, everybody, new album, The Nightmare of Being is coming out July second. Make sure you guys are pre ordering it. It's at the gates, so I know you guys are, but make sure you do that uh right after you guys hear this interview. But uh, you know, Tomas, you've been in the uh the heavy metal scene for thirty years now. But when you look back, you know, a little perspective on life and all those things. What other career, if it wasn't for heavy metal, do you think you could have dove straight into 30 years ago? Well, well, 30 years ago, when I was, you know, like, what was I, 19? Yeah, you were, no, okay, let's go with 25, 25 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I matured very late. I mean, the, being in the Gates until I was 22, 23, you know, I was just... A kid, basically, yeah. you know, enjoying to do what I was doing most. And then it took a few years for me to actually uh, come to terms that I was not Thomas about Gates anymore and, like, I needed to figure something out. And it took a while for me to, you know, I, mean, I uh, educated myself to be a teacher and all that. And but I couldn't have done that at 25. I needed, I needed to, to get a grasp. Um, I don't know. It's weird because like the my hobby, my like past time became like almost my work very early on. Uh, of course, now it's, it's it's still a hobby because I have my daytime job still. But it's hard to figure out what I would do instead because it's so such a big part of my life, you know. Yeah. Um, and now I have the other career as a teacher, so probably I would go into that, but. I, I thought I think I wasn't ready at 25 for being a teacher. I was still too a little bit too uh, disorientated in life. 
totally understand. I feel like a teacher does need to live a certain point before they can actually uh, teach those below them. Um, I've always felt that because I, I remember having a teacher who was like 25, 26 years old and and they were the coolest person in the world, but I don't know if I learned anything because <laughs> they were still learning. Yeah, it's yeah. also like, uh, yeah, you need different perspectives and respect for different perspectives, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, man. and I, I, I was not a very reflective person until I was like 30, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a lot of us. And I think a lot of the listeners that are younger that might have a little bit of those, like, I'm not sure where I'm going. It's, it's That's the story for the most of us, man. We need those early years. We need to break through those fears. We need to find philosophy, learn to love ourselves, all that stuff. And it that doesn't happen at 21. Youth. No, and then the, when you end up like approaching 50 and the only thing you know is that you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> you so said that it. That's like... That's a lot of hope for the, for the younger listeners. <laughs> we grow up and, and understand that you don't know shit. <laughs> I know I don't know shit, and that's the only thing I know. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, but I, I have a lot of fun talking about it, and uh, you know, like we did right now, and it's it's just a blast. And you're right; these same conversations are probably happening to them. But uh, not knowing anything means that you're learning. I feel, and that's yeah. uh, that's 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 the most important part of life. So, yeah. and curiosity is is very important. Yes, absolutely, man. So with that, dude, everybody, one more time. Guys, make sure you're picking up the latest record from At The Gates, uh, Nightmare Beans, coming out July 2nd. With that, Tomas, I want to thank you so much, my friend, for calling in to the Metal Sucks podcast. Thank you, sir. It was a great time.
Just a crazy 
All right, guys, and we are back. First two songs you heard is off the latest record from At The Gates, The Nightmare of Being. It's coming out July 2nd. Make sure you are pre-ordering it. First track, Spectre of Extinction. Second track is The Paradox, guys. Great album, as we talked about. Make sure you guys are pre-ordering that record when you can. Third song is the latest from the band Scar of the Sun. That track is Quantum Leap 02, Transition to Turbulence. And it's off their new album, Inertia, which is out right now. I've been checking out this record, digging it a lot, guys. If you haven't heard it yet, make sure you do check it out. Once again, Inertia by Scar of the Sun is out right now. With that, I want to thank everybody out there. For the five-star reviews, we keep getting on the good old Apple iTunes. You guys are the best. That is all we ask for on this show if you got the time you got an iphone you got the itunes just go over to apple hit five stars don't write any comments we don't we don't really care about comments we just care about that number rising and you guys we truly appreciate you for all the work you do and we appreciate you guys for listening to our other podcast rise to offend the documentary discussion podcast we will be finishing the story of chuck Schuldiner here in a week or so so uh, hold on to that, and then those three parts will be out on that other podcast, Rise to Offend. We got over 100 episodes over there right now, guys. Documentary discussion, all kinds of topics. So if you guys are interested in that kind of podcast, go check that out right now. And with that, don't cover Temple of the Dog. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off.